Welcome to Nurses Voices. This season, we're focusing on nurse-led solutions to the current nurse human resource crisis in Canada. Our guest on this episode is going to tell us how her focus on trauma-informed leadership can help support nurses and increase resilience in nurses and in organizations. Welcome, Angela. Angela Wignall is the Director of Professional Practice and Health Policy Implementation at Nurses and Nurse Practitioners of BC in Vancouver, British Columbia. We're so glad to have you here, Angela. Thanks very much for joining Mary and me. Maybe you could just get started by telling us a little bit about what made you focus on this particular form of leadership. Well, thank you so much for having me, Gail and Mary. And I'm joining today from the unceded homelands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples. And I'm here today in this beautiful part of Western Canada, delighted to be joining you and sharing a little bit about trauma-informed leadership and my own leadership journey during COVID-19 and beyond. It's no surprise to anyone when I say that COVID-19 has shaped the past two, almost three years of our lives, not only as nurses and as leaders, but as human beings. This was a mass global event, unlike almost anything most of us have seen in the course of our careers and lifetimes. And while we were contending with responding to a global pandemic at work, we were also in the context of social impacts of a pandemic. We were explaining viruses, harm, and susceptibility to our children. We were contending with school closures while our kids came home and we became teacher, worker, and human being contending with this event ourselves. We became ill, and many of us have loved ones who became ill, and we became ill ourselves. And as nurses in particular and others in healthcare, we sat with the fear of leaving others behind. It is known that many healthcare workers have died from COVID-19. The ICN puts those estimates at about 115,000 health workers have died from this experience. And again, the International Council of Nurses suggests that what has happened to us and with us can be considered a mass workforce trauma. So those of us working in healthcare over the past two and a half years and counting, because we are not done with this yet, we have experienced something profound and significant. And we're seeing signs of that mass workforce trauma show up around the world and here at home in Canada in a multitude of ways. The Canadian Federation of Nurses Union's 2022 national survey suggested that 94% of nurses are suffering symptoms of burnout, 45% of which would be categorized as severe. Nurse vacancies in the last year, two years, from 2019 to today, have increased by 133%. And perhaps most disheartening of all, 93% of nurses are reporting physical assault as part of their daily work. And that's no surprise when we think about what's going on in the world around us and what we've collectively lived through as a society and as a people. In this context, in healthcare, we're also seeing a push to return to pre-pandemic times, to get back to normal. And that includes opening up surgical services to deal with the backlog of patients who didn't receive the life-saving surgeries that they needed 
during the pandemic. Going back to preventative health care, like cancer screenings for those who are unable to get the care they needed during COVID-19's first waves. And we're dealing with backlogs as well. And we're doing all of these things, this push to reopen in the context of fewer human resources, more people who need care and fewer human beings to provide it. This push to normal also comes at a time when population and workforce demographics are shifting. And we've known that this has been coming for a long time. For decades, nursing has sounded this alarm, knowing that this time would come when more patients require care than there are people to provide it. We're having a significant loss of the healthcare workforce, including nurses who are retiring. Um, and that's been known for many decades that this was coming. So even without the pandemic, we would be in challenging times. And the experience of COVID-19 has accelerated and exacerbated what nursing had long known was coming. So in this context of mass restart, of trauma, it's very easy to feel hopeless. And while it may sound like lip service, these are not only challenging times, but they're times of transformation. The world around us is changing in ways that it hasn't changed before. And there's growing acknowledgement that the healthcare system that nurses work within is not the system that we need. Um, I have a tendency to say, the system is not failing. I don't wanna perpetuate that discourse. It is performing as it was designed. Healthcare in Canada, publicly funded healthcare in Canada, was a system devised to ensure equitable access to acute care hospital visits and primary care visits through a community-based family physician. And the simplicity of that model cannot be overstated. It was an admirable goal, and it's one that's part of our Canadian identity. But we can't accurately say that we have perhaps never fully been able to implement even that simple version of what we were aiming for. And that's evidenced by half of Canadians living without access to primary care, the increasingly dire situations in our acute care facilities, specifically our emergency departments. So at the same time, we've also added on to what we believe healthcare is, acknowledging that caring for people requires a holistic approach, attending to their physical, mental, spiritual, and cultural selves, as well as taking actions on the social determinants of health which nursing has been at the forefront of for decades. The system was never designed for this. And so it isn't failing. It simply wasn't designed for what we're asking it to do. So instead of despairing over failure, we can acknowledge this as a fact and get to work on radically transforming how we care for human beings in this country, patients and care providers alike. We spend a lot of time right now talking about HHR crisis. And that HHR crisis is not limited to nursing, but nursing is the largest group of care providers in healthcare on the planet. So a focus on nursing is not self-involvement. It's an appropriate focus, given the potential opportunity for impact and spread. If we get it right for nurses, we can get it right for others. The recent report, Sustaining Nursing in Canada, from the Canadian Health Workforce Network and the Canadian Federation of Nurses Unions, talked a little bit about the challenges that nurses are facing as part of this HHR crisis. They are intersecting issues like chronic shortages, inadequate staffing, excessive workloads, inhumane mandatory overtime, toxic workplaces, and endemic violence. 
And nurses are sharing that they feel disrespected, frustrated, overwhelmed, and out of control of the way they practice their profession, that others are driving who nursing is and what nurses do. All of these issues predate the pandemic, but they are here in full force today, and we have to deal with it. And the first priority that we need to attend to is retaining and supporting those who choose to stay with us, those who choose to care. How do we do that? Well, there's lots of good ideas, and there's some really strong evidence base that tells us the first thing we need to do is foster healthy and supportive work environments. It is the single most important thing that we can do as leaders is to invest in quality practice environments for nurses and others. Speakers from this season of Nurses' Voices have been so inspiring in making that priority clear. From training nurses in their home communities to creating safe spaces for Indigenous nurses to learn and grow, to addressing workload by redesigning patient discharge workflows, transparently sharing information through sharing circles so that those working in isolation have access and support of expert nursing knowledge, to reducing the documentation burden, which nursing and physicians and many others have been vocal about electronic health records adding to. Nurse leaders are naming projects and strategies that foster quality practice environments that are not only nurse-led, but nurse-friendly and patient-centered. Practice environments and the structural enablers for nurse-led patient care draw nurses in, recruiting, and help nurses stay, retaining. They also fundamentally benefit patients, which is why we are all here. Because the evidence tells us that when nurses are enabled to practice autonomously at the top of their scope in safe environments, patient care demonstrably improves and patient harms are actively mitigated. There's lots of different ways that we can foster quality practice environments. And my peers who've spoken on this season of Nurses' Voices have shared many. And I'll add one more that I like to use from a nursing leadership perspective, and that is trauma-informed leadership. Leaders can create quality practice environments and address, importantly, the structures that foster powerlessness including gaps between those providing care and those making decisions about what structures and conditions and the nature of care look like. Trauma-informed leadership focuses on building the conditions for resilience, where people have the ability to withstand the consequences of adversity, the challenges around them. And as a leader, trauma-informed leadership is quite liberating because it tells me as a leader that I don't necessarily have to have all of the solutions to the complicated problems in front of me. The best thing that I can do to care for the system is care for my people. As a trauma-informed leader, I focus on the six principles of trauma-informed practice. Safety is the first principle. And that means that my teams need to have consistent, predictable experiences and spaces at work. If you ask a nurse today, are, is your work environment consistent, predictable, and safe? They're telling us it's not. Trustworthiness or being trustworthy as a leader is the second principle. And that includes being inclusive, following through on commitments, and being honest with our teams. Peer support and working with power is the third principle. And that includes understanding how hierarchical and institutional power is experienced by others not how I hold it. Mutuality is the fourth principle, 
and mutuality tells me that I can attend to an environment where learning and curiosity leads the way, not judgment and not violence. Really critically for nursing, the fifth principle is empowering voice and choice, returning control to and attending to powerlessness, sharing decision-making and acknowledging self-determination. The more that we can return control to those at the point of care when we are designing and reimagining healthcare, the more likely we are to create something new that works for patients and providers. And finally, and certainly not least, the sixth principle is working with cultural humility and an understanding of history, an understanding that we are all collectively in a space where trauma is and trauma shows up. And we have to attend to that together in a way that's humane and centered in our belief in each other as strong, resilient people. So in this time of transformation that calls on us to bring our best selves forward as leaders, nurses are telling us that creating quality practice environments where nurses can do what they do best is the most important thing, where they can care for human beings and have their humanity attended to as well. This means believing nurses when we speak the truth about our daily work. And it means prioritizing environments as the single most important HHR priority if we want to retain and recruit the nurses in our systems and beyond. It also means acknowledging that the systems we have may not have been designed for what we want, and we need to be courageous to radically reimagine what healthcare looks like in this country, who provides it, and in what way. And while these challenges are very significant, as a nurse, I know that nursing history is a history of rising to challenges just like these. This is what we do. Trauma-informed leadership is one approach to reimagining the sisters and structures that puts humans at the center. It's one set of principles that can lead us forward, and there are very many others. Nurses are very much up to this job. As you were talking, I was jotting down some words, cult and courage and systems and strategies. And I still come back to the question that I've had all through nurses' voices. Individual nurses, including yourself, talk about what we need to do. Where do you begin? It's a great question. And there's no wrong way to start. <laughs> and the good news is, as, as a nurse, I know that I am in a continuum, a historical continuum of women and men who have done this work before me. So it didn't start and it didn't end with me. I don't start it and I don't end it. Um, my work is to continue the, the trajectory of hope, the trajectory of caring and of healing. That is the legacy I've been gifted by the nurses who came before me. I think it's, uh, you know, as I said, very easy to get disheartened. And there are moments where as a leader, as a nurse, you are going to cry in the bedroom you're going to stop on the side of the road on the way home and have that moment of, how do I continue? And the thing that keeps me going most days for myself are my children. My greatest hope is that we have a system of care, an environment of care, a climate and a globe for them to walk into in a better way than I walked into the world. And I think that aligns with so many different philosophical orientations, whether that be a connection to spirituality, whether it be a connection to care, feminist understandings. These are legacies that we have as nurses that tell us we can start where we are, work with what we have, use what we know to make change. Everything you say is so 
ordinary in the good sense of the word, <laughs> in the sense of the word of, yeah, it rings true. It yeah. rings true. Yeah. And I'm listening to talk about leadership and leaders, mm-hmm. and I can see that what you're talking about is a way of being with the people mm-hmm. you lead. But it seems also to me we want to instill those same principles in the so-called followers so they become leaders because it isn't a dichotomous thing. The trauma-informed leader that you described is one with their colleagues. One happens to have the identified leader job and the other does not. But how do you help, first of all, leaders be authentic in this? And then how do you help transfer that, though some of those skills which are embodied in the principles you identify, to the staff? Because it seems to me that it's those principles that they also need to incorporate in their It's more than in their work, it's in their selves, in their beings. Yeah, trauma-informed leadership is a way of being, but it's also a set of tools. So it's both things at once, and they are accessible to anyone, anywhere. And I am firmly of the belief that leaders are not people with leader in their job description or leader in their title. Leaders are everywhere. And nurses are influential as leaders no matter where they are, whether they're at home with their babies, in the park, at the grocery store, at the bedside. We're the most trusted profession. Society listens to us. So nurses are leading no matter where they are. Now, hierarchically, absolutely, there's a difference between those with positional authority who need to attend to that positional authority and those who in the hierarchy have not been identified in that way. But that doesn't mean that they're not leading. So when I was a perinatal nurse at the bedside, I had influence on my team. I had influence in staff meetings. I could bring in in services. I had influence with my manager. I was connecting with other humans in the course of my care and could influence society through that one-on-one or nurse-to-family dynamic. So nurses are leading everywhere, (laughs) I think would be my, my first answer. And then the second part of this is Just as any of our technical skills require us to repeat them and repeat them and repeat them until we get good at them, we don't often nail that IV the first time we put it in or or get that catheter in on the first go. Sometimes we have to do it over and over again. And leadership skills, no matter where you are, trauma-informed practice tools are just that. They're for practicing with. So just like cultural humility, intellectual humility, trauma-informed practices, they are things that we try and fail and try again and fail and try and fail, hopefully quickly, hopefully often, so that over time we get better at them. So things like attending to power. You can sit in a, in a case conference, for example, with a family, and you might be sitting with your physician colleague, your manager, a social worker yourself. If you take a moment and attend to power in that room, understand the historical oppressions that are present in that room, you are doing trauma-informed leadership and your practice as a nurse will change. It is accessible to anyone, no matter where you are. And it can also be really, really challenging. Uh, I'm not gonna lie about that. There's sometimes when I'm engaged in in the rooms that I'm in and I know that I am up against a very different paradigm and it takes courage, it takes strength, And to be honest, it takes a community around you of folks who will hold you up, 
when you have moments when you're falling down, good friends and good colleagues who will do that for you. But it is available to all of us, no matter where we are in structures, no matter where we are in hierarchies. What I hear from you is hope. Um, Because we hear a lot from voices of nurses and of others of a lot of despair. And what you are beacon of light, like it's it's sort of coming, breaking through this despair. And I guess when I asked my question earlier, how do you begin? I'm a nurse leader sitting, listening to your presentation on nurses' voices saying, how do I make that first step? And it might be just listening to you um, to say there is hope because I am just concerned that we are engulfed with despair and not focusing in the areas that we need to be focusing on. In the work that Gail and I have been doing with Nurses Voices, it's trying to shed um, that there is hope. It is not despair. We need to listen to these articulate women and men well, thanks, Mary. And, you know, I, I really do believe that showing up is an expression of hope. So every day when a nurse shows up to their shift, when they clock in, every day when they take report from, from their colleague, when they go out at five in the morning to attend to somebody who is needing their help on the street, no matter where you are, you are living and embodying an expression of hope because to care for others is to believe in human beings. And that is what we do uh, as nurses and as our colleagues. We are a deeply optimistic profession because we believe that healing is possible. We believe that humans are extraordinary physically and otherwise. And we invest our time and energy in attending to them and walking alongside them. There is nothing more hopeful than that. And as nurses, we know that presence matters, right? So the relationship is that intervention. When we are present, good things happen. Evidence tells us that. So if all you can do is is be present and listen, be present and be hopeful, that's that is sufficient. I think of the 50 nurses that we have interviewed on Nurses Voices over three seasons. And you all are the beacon of hope. You all are um, what nursing is about. And we are so privileged, Gail and myself, to have been able to have this conversation with you. You can watch any episode of Nurses' Voices from our first two seasons on a variety of platforms, including YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our channels to ensure you don't miss any of our new episodes or go to our website, nursesvoices.ca, to sign up for our free newsletter. Nurses Voices is generously sponsored by Pfizer Canada. It is created by Donna Wheeler and produced by Sector Limited. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association. Oh,